It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Premier League review show with no Premier League action? Thanks, FA Cup third round. It's tempting to just skip over you, but we won't. We're going to touch on England's top two tiers entering the country's elite cup competition, as well as the midweek 21st round of the Premier League, though since it's an off week, we're going to go a little bit off course. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. As was the case midweek, we're going to use this rare occasion to dive into a deeper topic, one that should shed some light on some of the opinions we've been tossing around for the last four months. Perhaps most prominent of those has been our evaluation of the Premier League itself, specifically our view that the league's quality has slipped. But first, I want to welcome in my co-hosts, Lawrence McKenna and Nipun Chopra. And gentlemen, let's dive into the FA Cup. Lawrence, first, welcome back to the show. And secondly, what about the FA Cup's third round sticks out to you? Uh, stop doing the magic thing. Uh, that whole magic of the cup. Oh, are you guys still is, doing that again? If you keep saying that something's magic, um, then in the end, people are going to get a little bit bored of that. And I think this year it's really sort of losing that. Or at least um, we would expect some actual magic, magic right? The point that people are now making at this point is that the magic of the magic of the FA <laughs> Cup is actually uh, really magic. Voldemort. This is like, like this is like that Susanna then, Clark book, a Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, where half of it is consumed with why there's no magic in England anymore. Like, partly, why is there yeah. no magic well, in, the, in the FA Cup, Lawrence? Well, because then you read Bill Bryson, and suddenly everything seems magical again. Because uh, you know, oh, aren't those weirdo little people funny that don't come from the capital? Yeah, such a such a Slytherin thing to say. Oh You're Let's, right. Okay, such stop. a Gryffindor thing to say. You guys are just giving me more stuff to edit out of the show. Let's actually shift <laughs> gears here. You mentioned Oxford United. They're actually the only lower tier team, lower than the first tier, to knock off a Premier League side this weekend, beating Swansea 3-2. Uh, 19 of the 20 Premier League sides are still alive at this point. We'll list the scores for those teams as we go through the segment. Nipun, do you watch the FA Cup, third, particularly the third round, for Giant Killing? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, will, I, I watch most games for Giant Killing, regardless of which cup competition it's in it's always fun to root for the underdog and is that why you're a manchester united fan that's exactly why i'm a manchester united fan because i love the underdog for sure yeah uh, <laughs> and i think uh in the in the in this round there wasn't much of that of course uh but it was it was still it was still some good games in there i enjoyed the arsenal sunderland game for one arsenal 3-1 victory over sunderland on saturday perhaps most notable of the premier league versus premier league ties was the one early on sunday 
early my time. I'm on the I'm on the Pacific coast of the United States. But Spurs, Leicester, two two was the final. Lawrence late Harry Kane equalizer from the spot. These two teams also face off against each other this weekend. But do you think these teams are going to much like Liverpool depleted two two draw on Friday? Do you think these teams are going to be particularly happy having to go uh, into a replay at this point? No, I don't think everyone, anyone's ever really happy for a replay. Yeah, that was a, that was a really it, stupid question. I guess I yeah. guess Exeter City is happy because they get to cover most of their wage bill with their game at Anfield. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that for some reason, some people seem to be marking that as part of the magic of the FA Cup. The, the swathes of capitalism which run over magic seem to be incredible at this point. <laughs> um, look at this magic money. Oh. Uh, we all remember 2008. And of course, if you haven't watched the movie The Big Short, then maybe you should watch it because we're making a Premier League version in a few years' time. Uh, don't um, re- read that book. The movie is kind of terrible. The movie's great. Ryan oh, Gosling no. is a great. Ryan Gosling does do a good job in it, but the movie yes. itself is pretty bad. Um, oh, you're joking. I love that film. Let me read down the other Premier League versus Premier League scores from the third round action this weekend. Watford, a 1-0 victory over Newcastle. Troy Deeney with the only goal shortly before halftime there. Crystal Palace's 2-1 victory over Southampton knocks the Saints out at the first round that they are in. Manchester City, 3-0 victory at Norwich City. Southampton, guys, let's talk about them. Kartik had a lot to say about Ronald Koeman on the show midweek and evaluating him as a manager, noting that he's had a lot of mixed results overseas. That explains his low ranking. And he also threw in there that he thinks that Southampton might be entering a relegation battle. Nipun, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case, but this result this weekend certainly lends credence to the idea that Southampton's direction is drifting towards some trouble. Unfortunately, you're right. I mean, on paper, you have to be cognizant of the fact that Southampton have not collected enough points in the last month and a half, especially. Um, they've had a couple of good games and we've discussed some of those games, but overall it has not been good enough. And I mean, with, I think in some ways we have to remember where Southampton are with the players they've lost, the fact that Pochettino left and all those things that they overachieved with for a little while. Maybe all of those things are catching up to them because they've essentially lost an entire side to transfers a start almost a starting 11 to transfers so have they replenished that squad well enough maybe not i i I was of the opinion that they did but maybe not Hmm. other scorers from premier league clubs in the third round liverpool aston villa west brom all slated for replays as they drew with exeter wickham and Bristol City. West Ham got a 1-0 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. Bournemouth, 2-1 victory at Birmingham City. Everton, 2-0 over Dagenham and Redbridge. Stoke City, 2-1 victory at Doncaster. Manchester United needed a very late penalty to get a 1-0 victory over Sheffield United. Chelsea, 2-0 over Scunthorpe. And as we mentioned before, the only team from the Premier League out of the cup at this point, Swansea City losing 3-2 at Oxford. Lawrence, I was going to ask you a little bit about Liverpool, but I think everything is kind of out there on Liverpool. They were depleted. They didn't want this replay. They have to have a replay. Should they play their first team if they're healthy, healthy again? Jurgen Klopp's already said no. It's going to be another young squad. Not really a lot to talk about there. Yeah, great. I yeah, think- exactly. Yeah, yeah, go play a young squad. It, you know, even if you're depleted, they still have more people to put out on the pitch than that. You know, there were very few senior players starting this. Yeah, you know, Exeter. You know, Exeter, whatever plots is from Magic of the Cup, etc., etc. There's definitely respect to go towards them, but a, a huge, but the huge pluses for Liverpool was also that it, I think it showed Klopp to me more than just this one-dimensional pressing manager um, and that he could set his team up in a different way, which a lot of people don't seem to be taking away from many Klopp games. Most people outside of Liverpool just seem to keep talking about game and pressing. Gentlemen, let's go ahead and shift the topic here into what's probably going to be the main focus of the show. Throughout the season, 
we've been dropping hints and we haven't really been discussing our conclusions very much. The hints and the conclusion leading towards the idea that the Premier League has somehow waned. When we say waned, what we're really talking about are the competitive qualities of the league. You'll have a lot of people still talk about the atmosphere and the product and the entertainment. What we talk about when we're, when we hypothesize, when we theorize that the Premier League has taken a step back from where it was five, six years ago is the actual quality, the competitive quality of the teams on the field. Now, just because I say it like that doesn't mean that it's true, just because I narrow the debate. In fact, a lot of people will still insist that a lot of qualities that make up the Premier League help explain why some giants at the top of the Premier League have waned, why results in Europe have waned, and why some people like myself might misread the situation and think that the Premier League is somehow weaker than it was five years ago. So what we're going to do now with the skepticism of two very smart co-hosts, I'm going to lay out my case against the Premier League. And Napoon and Lawrence are going to basically fact slash logic slash common magic, sense check me. Magic. Ma- magic. Magic check me. W- one thing I want to lay out first is why we're having this discussion, guys. Because ultimately it doesn't matter what individual people think about the Premier League. You think it's the best league in the world. Somebody else thinks it's Spain or Germany. Who cares? These teams, these leagues pretty much play against each other the whole time. They're, with the exception of Champions and Europa League, these are independent systems. It doesn't matter. Except for, we have to concede, guys, that a lot of the discussion that goes on around the show involves what media is saying, what fans are saying, what listeners are saying. And particularly with this show, which has a large United States audience, where the Premier League is still by far the king here, we're still being fed the idea that the Premier League is the best league in the world. And Americans like the idea of devoting their time to the best things in the world, like like Big Bang Theory being the best television show ever, or Katy Perry's music being, okay, those are bad examples. But we still like to think that things are <laughs> the best. Wait a minute, Big Bang Theory might actually work on this. Because <laughs> if you take the laughter track of Big Bang Theory, it suddenly becomes a very different kind of show. I just wonder hmm. if the Premier League is a similar sort of thing. Perhaps if you take the laughter track off the Premier League, it suddenly becomes <laughs> far less ridiculous. Guys, there are three basic arguments I'm going to make here. And the first one is you can tell that England has waned based on how they've done in Europe. And this is no new argument, but I need to reassess it. When the Premier League was kind of in its heyday three or four years ago, it was perpetually getting three teams in the semifinals of Champions League, all four teams getting into the quarterfinals of Champions League. Um, from 2006 to 2007, through the next three or four years, the Premier League claimed 50% of the semifinal spots in the Champions League. But since then, it's down to only 15%. Now, that's a pretty obvious indication that the top teams in the Premier League, at least, are weaker relative to Europe than the their predecessors were. Now, if you expand that, you look at the UEFA coefficient, which basically tracks how many wins your teams actually get in Champions League and Europa League. The, the picture is, I wouldn't say depressing, but it does tell an obvious tale. In 2011, England was top of the UEFA coefficient scale with 85 points. It was three points ahead of Spain and 16 ahead of Germany. Now, at this point, England is all the way down to number three. They're three points behind Germany and they're 23 points behind Spain. So, guys, I just I want to throw this out there to you because I've been talking for like four minutes straight. (laughs) Is there some reason that we should think that at least the top of the Premier League isn't weaker than it was four or five years ago? Tactics, totally. (laughs) Well, no, not reason why. I'm, I'm looking for some kind of explanation that would support the idea that some people have that the best teams in England are still as good as ever, or the top four or five teams in England are still as good as ever, but for some reason, they aren't able to show it in Europe. 
In my opinion, I don't. I think. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Lawrence. I don't think a lot of people argue that. I, I think a lot of people agree with that, but they they give you different reasons for why it is. I think that's where the disagreement is. I think, as you've said, objectively, no one can argue that the top that the teams at the top in the Premier League are doing as well in the Champions League are the, as the teams from, especially from Spain. So you're. I mean, there's no. I don't think there's a real good counter argument to that. The argument that we do get, and we got it a little bit in the feedback from Twitter when we were promoting the show is the idea that England, the middle of England is so much tougher right. that it and wears that comes to the why of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That it wears on the teams at the top in a way that in other leagues that doesn't happen, but that's not a new phenomenon. That's it's not new that England has had to go through two cup competitions simultaneously. It's not new that the England has had to play through winter breaks. It's not new that England has had a unique set of obstacles. Yet four or five years ago, Lawrence, those obstacles didn't prevent teams from getting into into the later rounds of Champions League. Uh, it didn't prevent England as a whole performing better against European competition than it is now. Has something changed? When has England been has England been thrashed out? of a competition recently what do you mean i mean you know i mean essentially when it becomes a knockout round you are you're you know it's it's about game management there's mm -hmm. a number of different things in there which don't necessarily even reflect the league they reflect yeah a lot of other things but, that you know i think it you, we're putting drawing lines which maybe don't need to be drawn because i think you know it we say it's a cyclical thing as if somehow magically every 10 years the well, clubs go up and down. Do we say down. it's a cyclical thing? Why does it have to be a cyclical thing? I don't understand that. Because I think it's uh, false humility when England were at the top that people go, well, it's cyclical. So in a couple of years, England will be at the bottom again. And then uh, when okay. it actually happens, people sort of go, wait a minute, why are we at the bottom again? What I, what I mean by that is, yeah, I think uh, th there are certain styles of football which have spread out. Barcelona, certainly uh, a lot of other people have looked to ape that. And some other people have... Uh, managed to plunder other countries more successfully than others. For a while, England did that. Other people had their havens, those kind of things, because the clubs were so much financially better off than other people. But now it seems as if because England and a couple of other leagues originally reached out to other people, those people have become smart to that and move themselves closer to Europe. So now it makes other leagues more diverse themselves. I don't know if that necessarily means that England has become weaker but maybe it was a, a kind of a false optimism about how strong England was. You asked if England at any point has been kind of trumped out of Europe um, and that maybe it just might be individual matchups. And I think that's why we need to look at things over a large period of time, because one or two years worth of results maybe can skew things. Um, so basically, I focus on the last 10 years. So, so basically from when just after Liverpool won the Champions League under Rafa Benitez the first time. Around that time. Between, the only time, sorry. <laughs> between 2000, the 2005-2006 season and the 2011-2012 season. So yeah. seven tournaments. England had court, at least one quarterfinalist every year. In five of those years, they had multiple quarterfinalists. In only one of those years, did they fail to reach the semifinals? Did one team fail to reach the semifinals? In only one year, did one team fail to reach the final? Over the last three years... England twice has failed to place a team in the quarterfinal. They have twice failed to place a team in the final semifinals, and they have not had a finalist. Maybe that changes this year, but I think we don't have very much to many much reason to believe that's going to change this year. While England hasn't been routed out of Europe, the results have gone from waning to relatively bad for a league that some people want to say is the best in the world, competitively the best in the world. I think maybe on this point. This is probably the easiest point to make that relative to Spain in particular, Germany, 
And relative to the the way they were performing in Champions League in general, it's very difficult to say that England hasn't waned. Would you guys it's agree? Very small sample. No, because it's a very small sample size. You're trying yourself against Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Uh, you know that the it's not an aberration of Dortmund, uh, Atletico Madrid, and um, who else in there? I mean PSG. The exorbitant spending of PSG. But that um, would that would still be relative waning, though. If you're, yeah, I, if you're saying they can't keep up and there are reasons for that, that's fine. But that's also entailed in the argument here. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. But at the same time, you can also see my the side of the argument that I'm making, which is that those things would be aberrations as opposed to the, the trend overall within a league. So right. if you want to judge a league by its aberrations, then you're doing it. I mean, you might be doing it right, but you're also doing it wrong. I think I tend to agree, which is why I don't think we can rely on one thing here. I think... What we just talked about is very convincing evidence that England is waning compared to Europe. But is it waning overall as a league? And can we even judge that based on one vector? Let's concede that we can. And let's start to look at things closer to home. And I think I'd be interested to hear what you have to say on this argument. Because one thing that we can do to measure the quality of the Premier League is measure it against what we're seeing from the championship. Mm. Now, if... The Premier League itself, for reasons, economic reasons, cultural reasons, like the growing cachet of the Premier League, if England really was either growing or waning in its competitive value, then theoretically, players from the championship would find it more difficult to succeed in the Premier League, and teams from the championship would find it more difficult to succeed in the Premier League. And furthermore, players from outside of the Premier League at non-Barca Real uh, Bayern Munich clubs would find it more difficult to assimilate into the league if the Premier League was in fact staying the course. Lawrence, you said not sure? No, I just don't think that's true because um, the whole idea of the Premier League was, I mean, if it's working in the way that uh, Thatcherites wanted it to, was that it would slowly filter down through the rest of the country, that some of the theories and some of those other things would be taken out. And so, for instance, you know, you can see it very directly in that Liverpool now have uh, one of their um, satellite coaches coaching Huddersfield or, you know, a number of people sort of going out and pejorating what goes on within the culture. So it changes, uh, you know, it's the trickle down idea within those leagues. The arguments that you gave are constants, basically. Those are things you can say on both sides of the equation before and after this hypothetical wane. It's not just over the last four or five years that the top, the lower teams in England have been feeding off the the ones up in the league, be it in terms of players or uh, technical staff or executives filtering down. The one way that you can, can obviously see or measure an effect is how teams from the Premier League that are relegated do in the championship. Because if the Premier League is this strong place where the middle ground is so much stronger than it used to be, and then that takes points off the top and it pushes the league to be this great thing, then the teams that fall from the Premier League to the championship should be doing as good or better than they did before because the Premier League's quality was so good. And those teams that go down were a function of the Premier League's quality. But that hasn't been the case. The average finishing position for a championship team coming back from the Premier League in year one between 2005 and 2010 was seventh place. And now that's fallen over the last five years to 8.8 place. It's getting worse. Now, that's, that might not be statistically significant, that difference. In fact, I, I kind of doubt it is. I mean, it might be right on the borderline. But there's mm-hmm. no evidence to suggest that the Premier League's middle 
is stronger than it was. And if the Premier League's middle isn't stronger than it was Nippon, then there's nothing to explain why teams like Arsenal and um, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, every team at the top has so much trouble putting up the same point totals that other teams have in other leagues. And it debunks the theory that the Premier League is so tough that it affects teams play in Europe. Yeah, but I mean, I think we have to be cognizant of what happens when a team gets relegated. When a team gets relegated, it's not that those it's almost never that all those same players get flooded back into the, uh, playing that same team the next season in the championship. On the contrary, most of the time that team gets team gets disbanded because uh, you know the players are on ridiculous wages yeah, or. But Nipun, I'm going to cut you off because that's just like it's the same thing as kind of like what Lawrence was saying with his arguments. These are hmm. constants on both sides of this right. divide we're trying to but draw. But they're not though. They're not constants because we're looking at the, the change in training methods. They look at the importance of what happens on the pitch. So what we're also looking at the intensity of the league. And I think in the next few years, we'll probably see these things play out. But I think we're at, we're at the point where, you, you know, you can see a rise and then a wane in these things, peaks and troughs, however you want to put it. But the point of being with the Premier League, with this investment more recently, we're going to see that play out in certain ways. So we, uh, we either see it as the Premier League is overextending itself and this investment is going to break the Premier League within Europe, which it may do for a short amount of time. But, you know, if, if you're inclined to read uh, Marcotti or anyone else, then I think they're in less trouble than maybe most of the press would lead you to believe mm-hmm. when it comes to coefficient. But the, the, the point then still stands that the Premier League may be ahead in terms of the wave of money and those sort of things which is coming into the league. So it's maybe going through the growing pains, which some other leagues may go through later on, such as Serie A is finding right now, it's becoming, in inverted commas, more entertaining, all these kind of things, because the football is becoming more diverse and all these kind of things. And it's finding what the Premier League was finding a few years ago. And so I, I don't know if it's about it waning or whether it's no. it's almost like a if you want to call it waning or you want to call it growing pains. But you're you're and basically it, making the sense. argument that it is waning, but it's just going to be a temporary wane. And I'm not saying that this wane that I'm talking about here is going to sustain itself. In fact, I think it's more likely that teams will recognize that there are now rooms for improvements that other teams are making that they can now adapt and not kind of sit on their perches and eventually get knocked off the way that Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea have. Another factor. Football was really more important. intense though. The football's definitely more intense within the Premier League. So you'll find players, I mean, generally you'll find that players will run further within the 90 minutes. So, so it's both more intense and the players aren't acclimated to that. So then it has the effects. And that doesn't make sense to me though. Why? Because if it's more intense, that's something that's just a stylistic difference. Players are going to be acclimatized to that. And it should, I don't understand how that's necessarily going to have an effect on on anything we're talking about here well well because over a season then if, if players are having to run further and it's how can we know, didn't see that point, effect 10 years ago then because they weren't having to run further so england the style that we're talking about in england where it's more intense and more running and demanding more physical it's developed over the last four or five years i would say that it's definitely changed a lot over the four or five years Napoon, you have any thoughts yeah i mean i was gonna chime in when we were talking about the players because i, I think one way to ascertain whether we whether the players in the Premier League are uh, as good or are struggling compared to other players is the in and out of transfers, and I think you were we were start, maybe starting to talk about that uh, in the fact that players in the Championship, when they came, uh, some of the players that came up in the Championship like Vardy, Mars, etc., have done well. But I feel like we when we talk about that because I've read so many articles about this, we only count the hits and forget about the misses. Napoleon, the reason why we only count the hits is because we're trying to disprove a hypothesis. And that hypothesis right. is that the Premier League is so tough 
that players from outside are going to struggle coming up. And of course there are going to be misses. That's, in, that's just implied by the tiered right. system. But if you can highlight the places where that isn't true, then all mm-hmm. of a sudden the hypothesis that the Premier League is so incredibly strong starts to wane. I was going to say, but then what Lawrence said is on the money because he, he essentially, uh, without phrasing it this way, basically said that sometimes the cream rises to the, the top, right? So you can argue that at a certain level, a player is good enough that he will have success at any level. And we have to remember that all these players that we've mentioned, Vardy, Mara, Zigalo, Dini, Dele Alli, this is a one season thing. So when we're looking at a, a compendium- I don't think it is, Napoon. I, I have, oh, let me, let me interrupt you here to throw this out there. Yeah. So one thing I did is I went back and looked at the top 10 scorers in the league over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. And yeah. I did this because goals are easily quantifiable, basically. Mm-hmm. You can, it, goals, there are some, context that we need to bring to it but if you expand your con your uh sample size enough you can start to rely on goals a little bit as a some kind of measure so what i did is i looked at the top 10 scores in the league and tried to assess how many of those players were in the in the second division the year before and the idea being that trying to assess how frequently players from the second division come up and have a major impact in the premier league now over at the beginning of this 10-year swath that i created the only people that had uh, that jumped from the second tier and were top 10 scorers in the first happened at the beginning of that swath in 2005-2006, where Darren Bent and Henry Kamara finished in the top 10 in scoring. Then it did not happen again until Andy Carroll came back up with Newcastle in 2010-2011. And then it happened four times within five years. Andy Carroll, Grant Holt, Ricky Lambert, Charlie Austin. I find this very unconvincing. I mean, we're talking about six, okay, six so, people here. Like, I, I think so that's then- very small, very unconvincing. But it does show that this theory that the Premier League is so incredibly tough now, there, there is at least some indication that that might not be true. The other thing I did in looking at top 10 scorers is look at yeah. people coming in from other leagues. Mm-hmm. Now, over the first five, uh, first five years of that sample, there were seven players that came in from other leagues who then finished in the top 10 in scoring, uh, going from Benny McCarthy coming in from Porto in 2007, along with Dimitar Berbatov and Dirk Kaut, all the way to when Robinho arrived from Real Madrid at Manchester City in 2008-2009. Over, over the next five years, there were 12. So again, seven versus 12, it's not a huge sample. Maybe there's some meaning there. But what I think is very interesting is you look at the clubs that those players came from. Now, in the first five years of the sample, we're talking a Porto team that had just come off of a Champions League victory. Bayer Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich, Lyon, Real Madrid, and then Dirk Coit came from Feyenoord. Those are all either big teams or in Porto and Feyenoord's case, they were they were kind of a product of their time good. Now you look at the the clubs from which top 10 scorers are coming now over the last five years. Chivas Guadalajara, Lokomotiv Moscow, Freiburg, Genk, Rio Vallecano, Vitesse, a Feyenoord team that is much less resourced than it was before. That's Graziano Pele. You also have Barcelona in there. You have Wolfsburg. You have Real Madrid. But we're not seeing as well. We're starting to see players at lower levels in other leagues come in and have an impact on the Premier League. Now, again, I'm not saying that in and of itself means anything. But you combine all of these things that we're talking about here, Nipun, mm-hmm. the top yeah. 10 scores from the second tier, the success of teams coming from the second tier, or the lack of success of teams going from the first tier to the second tier. Um, by the way, the rate of dropping back down from uh, when you're promoted, it used to be 1.4 teams per, of the three per year that came up 
to the Premier League would get relegated. Now it's just down to an average of one per year. So it's, it's saying it's a little bit easier to stick in the Premier League if that is difference is even significant. You add all so the, sorry for that point four of a team. <laughs> you do because the, getting relegated is point four of a team. And, and, point, and then point six of them get to stay up. So you have the separation anxiety. Yeah. And then you combine that with the coefficient thing, Nipun, you have a lot of different data points, maybe independent of each other. They don't mean anything. At least there's some kind of coincidence forming here. Maybe there is, but again, I have have to realize, recognize that that's not the whole story. I understand what you're saying in the sense that when you bring a bunch of information from different uh, ideologies almost together, and it's kind of supporting a hypothesis in that sense. But for me, each one of those points has some weaknesses. And let's Agreed. take this one that, that you just raised. So let me let me rephrase that argument. If the Premier League is the strongest, uh, sorry, if the Premier League is weakening. Mm-hmm. Right. Compared to the rest of Europe, players that fail here, or sorry, pl- players that fail here would succeed in other leagues. Right. So like, for example, like take Chicharito Hernandez, Chicharito would, uh, he succeeded, is succeeding at Bayern Leverkusen. Yeah, De Bruyne is succeeding, uh, fail, uh, kind of failed here, but did great in Wolfsburg. Mohamed Salah is another example. Uh, Gervinho, Di Maria, Falcao, Cuadrado, Mark, Markovic. Very, so in yeah. that sense, you, you can make that argument that these players that failed in the Premier League are doing well away from the league and therefore struggled in the Premier League and therefore the league is tougher to play in. You, you know, you see, you can I make see, that no, argument saying, as well. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I think you're wrong, though. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I think I think it's wrong to set, to, to completely discount style from it. Well, no, I agree. I agree. But yeah, I mean, don't infer us looking at goal scorers here as the only way we would look at this. The only reason we're looking at goal scorers is that there is some objective data to support this. We This argument, like um, Nipun said at the beginning of the segment, you can look at somebody like Deli Ali or Riyad Mahrez and their success, but it's it's harder to quantify their success. Just look at goal scorers as being kind of a, a tip of the iceberg or an analogy that you can apply to the rest of the group. And don't don't assume we only mean goal scorers. Yeah. So uh, so then the details that Napoon added, and then some some more details that you know it, it's trending uh, that, that that there's a trend as to how people want to play. So they'll look to buy certain kinds of players. You know, uh, I think I was listening to World Football Phone in a few weeks ago, and they were saying. Um, Whoever the, whoever the main guy is on that, sorry, his name uh, escapes me right now. But basically, Dalton, Dalton um, Adebayo. Yeah. No, the sorry, Tim the Vickery. guy Tim yeah, Vickery. Tim Vickery was basically making the point that um, you know, back in the eighties, English people fetishized or wanted a physical player. They wanted someone who was going to be able to physically keep the ball and do all these kind of. They wanted a certain kind of player, and over time, that changed as the branding changed and, you know, suddenly people believe they became more savvy and people like our dealers came over to the league and uh, perceptions began to change. And I think that to some extent, other clubs, like you're saying, Richard, change what their buying style was because they wanted to become feeder clubs to the Premier League because they realized that they could essentially pay their entire year's wages based on one big sale to the Premier League. But that's also something that has been happening ever since Bosman, not just over the last five years. And that's what I really want to get at here, or part of what I really want to get at. A lot of arguments that people make as to the quality of the Premier League can extend back from before this obvious statistical wane that we've seen over the last five or six years. And that's why I've looked at five years on each side of this line that you see, where teams stopped succeeding in Champions League, where players from outside started having more success, where players and teams from the championship started having more success. The idea that you brought up, Lawrence, is very, very relevant, I think, to explain the frequency, the type, the the whys. But it's not something that's new. 
It's not something that exists on one side of this divide and doesn't. So while I think it does explain why England is gradually or has gradually progressed in a certain direction, it doesn't explain why we've seen such a shift in England's outcomes over the last five or six years. Again, because the impact of it, because the impact, just because it existed before doesn't mean that it was maybe lessened or the impact of it was lessened. What I'm saying is I think maybe the impact of that has grown. That seems like something that would be really great to test somehow. I think that's a good theory. Yeah, very quickly. There's some things that I think when we do these comparisons, we're tend tending to overlook. And those are somewhat more simpler things that I believe that Premier League teams, uh, this is starting to change now, by the way, but for the last 10 years at least, have not been as tactically astute as have teams in Europe. Even uh, except for the one season, I think, where uh, Carlos Kuros was at United and maybe when Benitez was at Liverpool, I don't think we've really seen any uh, real tactical innovation in England unless you count parking the bus under Mourinho, which I don't. Um, so that's one reason I think Eng- English teams have waned compared to the rest of Europe because there has not been enough tactical innovation. Other thing, I also think we, we should uh, discuss in more detail. We don't have to now, but we should consider that in spite of what you've said in, in terms of championship teams, uh, Premier League teams going down in, into the championship and struggling, I still do believe that we can objectively say that when a top team in the Premier League plays a bottom team in um, uh, in the Premier League, there's more of a chance of an upset than is true when Real Madrid plays the bottom team in Spain. And therefore, by how, that... How can you objectively say that? I mean, like, I, I understand how you can objectively say it. You actually go out and go and look. But how can you just objectively, objectively say that right here? I right objectively now. objectively say that because when you look at the trend of results, even, even, I mean, last season when Chelsea won almost every game, it was way more likely that Chelsea would drop points. There were a lot, lot more 2-1 wins for Chelsea but, than they were for Madrid, who were just rollicking through, uh, except for Atletico Madrid and Barcelona, rollicking through all of their at games. at the same time, Lawrence, I mean, Nipun, if you look at how England's teams have performed in Europe, the more likely explanation for that is that the top of England is weak, not the bottom of Spain is weak, particularly given how... Spanish teams have performed in Europa League and the turnover of those teams in Europa League. It's not just the same teams right. going right. to so, so we're having a different argument now because I'm, I totally agree that the top team in England is not as good as the top team in Spain. There's, there's no doubt about that. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich are by far way better than any team in England. I mean, just look at the players at Real Madrid and Barcelona. The top five players in the world play at those clubs. And then, uh, uh, and um, if we include Bayern Munich, we're probably talking about seven out of 10 best players in the world play in those three clubs. So we can, that's objectively true that those teams are better. What I'm arguing is the, our original question is why are these teams struggling? Uh-huh. Uh, the Premier League teams struggling. And one of the reasons I believe they're struggling, one of the reasons is because there's fatigue involved. Because these teams are being run into the ground, as Lawrence alluded to. Uh, uh I, I yeah, mean, that just ahead. doesn't hold up against the, the A versus B of this. These teams weren't struggling that much five years ago. They are struggling this much now. The format of the league has not changed in that time. I, I realize that I keep saying that and that Lawrence particularly has put forth arguments as to why we might now, may now be seeing effects of that that we weren't seeing before. Right. But to me, that is, that is as much a hypothesis as, as saying the Premier League is actually, you know, better than other leagues. I mean, it's just something that isn't being substantiated against the actual results. 
And mm, again, again, if that if the middle of the Premier League and the bottom of the Premier League were so incredibly tough, like you're saying, then teams from the Championship would bounce right back down at a greater rate. It's going the other way. Teams from the Championship are having an easier time staying in the Premier League now than they did before. Now you can you can again but, say like there's some other effects there, right. but the simple fact is before Championship teams were being relegated at a certain rate, they're now being relegated at a lesser rate now. But that's the point. Is, is I mean we both uh, the, the, the funny is, thing is. The funny the thing is we're both arguing a similar thing, but our conclusion is different because we're both yeah. arguing that there is more parity. I'm agreeing with you, but our conclusion with that is going in a different direction. We're both arguing that the teams yeah. are more similar as far as uh, coming up from the bottom to the top or going from Premier League to Championship. We're both agreeing on that. But my conclusion from that is that's the reason why the teams at the one of the reasons why the team at the top is uh, top is struggling. And your conclusion, which I I agree, I agree is almost. Well, to me, a little bit less valid, but very well, valid. But, is but, the if opposite. but if your conclusion was more valid, then England wouldn't be waning so much in Europe. If your conclusion is that, oh, the top teams are maybe they waned a little bit, but the big effect here is the is the kind of like the 15 to 20 layer, mm-hmm. then you would see Chelsea, United, Arsenal having less points and still doing as well in Europe because Europe is those teams aren't in Europe, basically. Like, so but I think what you're taking away from that is that some people within people can also play. You're basically taking away the tactical side of football. You're only going on the results. Tactic, so you're tactics always evolve, the, though. Yeah, tactic. Well, I mean, but, um, it, what you're saying there is evolution means progress, and but that, even, that means changing to it in a positive way, which makes things more efficient. And actually, but, you're wrong in saying that because but progress Lauren, no. is. You know, most people think change is progress, but it's not. But okay. well, Lawrence, let's even grant the fact that there have been tactical evolutions on the continent that you and Nipun have alluded to that haven't taken place in England. That only that only supports what I'm saying that England is waning. I don't necessarily think it's down to waning though. Like I, I actually think that some of these clubs have been mismanaged. I mean, in that transitional time that you're talking about, Liverpool have gone through an ownership transition. But that's waning. Fairly- that's that's waning. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that I, I don't know if it's waning in the sense of the, the long term of waning or the. I, sh- I, 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 I don't know if I count that as waning, is what I'm saying. Yeah, this is what I get frustrated with with this argument is that you try to come up with objective factors like the the waning coefficient, the waning the success teams have had coming up, and people come up with explanations for them. But that's fine. I'm not trying to say that they're without explanation. Obviously, there is some explanation there. But just because smart people can come up with explanations for things doesn't mean the actual effect of what is being measured changes. It just means that we have an explanation for it. So if you're saying Liverpool was mismanaged, I agree. If you're saying Manchester United was mismanaged, I agree. And that has caused them to wane. It doesn't mean they aren't waning. I think that the, the latter bit was a bit of a semantic argument. I think uh, what what Lawrence was getting at was... Uh, the traditional idea of the word wane means it's a more of a uh, continuous, almost uh, slippery slope type of thing. Whereas, if mm-hmm. the question, if we just re- if we just rephrase the question as, have Liverpool, Manchester United, and Chelsea dropped in quality or dropped in form or whatever, all of those are objectively yes. I think okay. is where we are. Yeah, and I, I think as it pertains to the Premier League as a whole, it's not only those teams; it's the fact that. You can argue whether Arsenal and Spurs have done anything to make up for that. City has. Mm-hmm. Aston Villa has also dramatically dropped in quality, but they're not the only ones. Uh, you can argue to varying degrees the extent to which Newcastle, Sunderland, and then teams that aren't even in the Premier League anymore, Blackburn, Bolton, Fulham, Birmingham City, have all dropped in quality. And the question is, who has picked up the slack? Crystal Palace, you could say. Um, 
are, are there any other teams that have truly established themselves in those teams' places? Stoke probably has. And if they haven't, I mean, Leicester may, may well, Leicester may be beginning yeah, to it makes because it, they've been bought by billionaires. So, well, it makes it yeah. easier to explain why a team like Leicester can climb from looking very likely for relegation a year ago to the mm-hmm. near the top of the Premier League now because everything in the middle has weakened. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys just seem very reluctant to look at these data points. Like, well, the like thing Liverpool, is, Manchester United, Aston Villa, Chelsea, all being weaker. Um, all those teams that I mentioned that aren't even in the Premier League anymore that at one time were steady in the Premier League. Like, we have a lot of stuff here, guys, yeah. from a lot of different angles. Well, the thing is that when when we say weaker, we I think the metric you're using is in in terms of. Uh, league performance and those sorts of things, which are, uh, you're right, uh, first of all. I, I don't have a counterpoint to that. But I mean, it's, it's a little bit more, it, it, it comes back to what we were saying before we started recording off air. We said the word best, when we say the league is the best, it's a very difficult to operationally define. So when you say weaker, does it mean that player for player, those teams are not as good? I would argue not. I think yeah, I would argue I think, not too. I, I think exactly. that the playing quality, the quality of the players is higher. But for yeah. some reason, these organizations aren't getting the most and out the, of these players. And which then I think the reason for that, Lawrence, Richard, both you guys, uh, Voldemort Lawrence. is <laughs> is uh, I think there's more parity. I think it comes back to that. I think there's more parity across the but board. But if there was these- more parity, then teams from the championship would not be able to stay in the Premier League as long. Teams from the championship wouldn't have increased success. Well, okay, so, so maybe let's look at, let's look at something that's completely brand new off, hot off the press today, which is Burnmouth breaking their Premier League transfer record for the second time within 12 months, I think. When you have that sort of thing that was unheard of back in the day, it's obviously, it, to me, is indicative there's a more money, which is objectively right. true. And two, that the level of players that are being brought in, Give a greater parity to the to the no. It, it means yeah. that the quality of players is better, but that does right. not mean the application of that quality is translating into a better product. So how do you there is explain, something in between? How do you there. explain the general trend in the Premier? Okay, let me ask you I this question. I think the Premier League is the most talented team league in yeah. the world. I think mm-hmm. there is a failure on the part of the league, the clubs, and their staffs to get yeah. the most out of those players, which mm-hmm. is why we are now seeing that wane in Europe. A team like Chelsea, a team like Arsenal, a team like Manchester City has the talent to be making semifinal runs, yeah. and more and more, they're not doing that. Chelsea was in the semifinals a couple years ago, and a couple years before that, they actually won the competition, but yeah. now they're actually not even finishing fourth regularly. Well, there are going to be a couple times in the last four years they aren't finishing. Why is that? Is it for lack of talent? I think that's a difficult argument to make. I yeah. think it is just a culture around around England that is not getting the most out of these players in the same way that you see the culture around Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, maybe increasingly PSG, getting the most out of their players. I don't have anything to prove that except for all of the other kind of points around that that I've given over the last half an hour. Yeah, and and I think, uh, and sorry, Lawrence, I'm speaking for you, but I think I'm representing this correctly. What Lawrence and I are saying is that it's more of a multifactorial problem, that it's not just the fact that it's one thing, which is kind of what you're reducing it to, which admittedly might be a bigger part of the pie than we are giving, Lawrence and I are giving credit for, but Lawrence and I are saying you have to consider the rest of the pie as well. Well, I guess I'm having trouble with that because I've approached things from talking about success coming from the champions, the championship, talk Mm -hmm. about success in Europe. I've looked at isolated clubs, both Liverpool, Manchester United. I've looked at on the player level, the team level. 
how else should I look at this? No, no, no. You're, so what you what you just outlined it's are a, metrics of the waning of the league. What I'm talking about are the reasons you gave us well, one. But this reason, goes right? back to the thing I was saying five minutes ago. The reasons yeah. are one thing. The if, I mean, and those are things that we can agree on. But this okay. discussion isn't about the reasons. It's trying to prove or not prove, but further the idea that the league is actually waning. And what it sounds like to me that you guys are saying is you agree that the league is waning. It's just mm-hmm. that you're far more interested in the reasons why it's waning and therefore potentially coming up with conclusions as to whether it will continue to wane or it will rebound than actually debating whether it's waning or not, which I, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm okay with all of that because yeah. it gets us on the same page as far as England That's is waning. I think we are on the same page. I think yes. we are. At least I, at least for me, I, there's no counterpoint to the fact that the Premier League, uh, is, you know, definitely the top teams in the league are not as good as the top teams in Spain and probably the middle teams in England are not as good as the middle teams in Spain. When you look at the Champions League results, you look at the UEFA Cup results. I agree with that. So we, I think uh, for me, I'm more interested in the reasons. Yeah. I think I am too. But, uh, Lawrence, we still have a lot of people that do want to make the claim that on a competitive basis, the Premier League remains the best in the world. And and maybe they're right, Lawrence. I think the one thing that I did want to do with this pod today is at least outline the case as to why the Premier League might not be, the, for competitive reasons, the best league in the world. I really don't want to get involved in that conversation. <laughs> um, I just, I, I know, I'm, uh, part of me is... I was coming, I was coming to this conclusion over the Ethic Cup weekend, just sick of ranking things, uh, all the time because, you know, it, it works as a good framework sometimes for a conversation. But I, I, to some extent, I think, you know, it's the, uh, like, it's almost the, you know, the way that when you're a kid, you want to collect things or sort of, you know, put them in some sort of order to make sense of the world. Um, I don't know if it really works for me right now. And so for that reason, I don't care if the Premier League is the best team, uh, best league in the world, to be honest. New year, new Real Madrid. Probably not. But this weekend did mark the debut of one Zinedine Zidane on the sidelines of the Santiago Bernabeu. The former Juventus and El Real great made his first team coaching debut in a resounding victory over Deportivo La Coruña with three goals from Gareth Bale, giving Los Blancos a 5-0 win in Zizou's debut. That victory guaranteed Madrid would keep third place ahead of Villarreal, who beat Sporting Gijón 2-0 early on Sunday, but neither team was in reach of the top of the table. There, Barcelona temporarily leapt over Atletico Madrid with a 4-0 victory on Saturday at Granada, Lionel Messi posting his first hat-trick of the season. That left Diego Simeone's side to reclaim its perch on Sunday at Celta Vigo, a team that had throttled Barcelona 4-1 when the Blograna visited Bailados earlier this year. Atletico Madrid, having allowed only 8 goals in 18 rounds heading into the game, kept a clean sheet, got goals from Antoine Griezmann and Yannick Carrasco, a 2-0 victory putting Atleti at the top of La Liga's table. Elsewhere, Germany is off. Napoli went top of Serie A with a 5-1 thumping of Frozenoni, and PSG now has a 20-point lead in Ligue 1. Uh, perhaps that gap is a good segue into some words on these segments, where we typically update you on the leagues around Europe. The big struggle since I came back to this podcast is deciding which leagues to cover on a Premier League review show. Uh, given Champions League is a major thing, at this point we want to keep Europe's best in view, but when one traditional league has seen interest wane dramatically, Syria A, and another has seen one elite team emerge but no week-to-week news bubble up, League 1, 
uh, some updates kind of become futile on a week-to-week basis. So going forward, we're going to update you on Spain because so much of the world's attention is there now. And we're going to update you on Germany, a league that is rounding out Europe's big three at the moment. We'll also update you on the championship where a lot of allegiances lie. But we're going to be focusing on those leagues and these updates going forward. With that PSA, let's jump back into the Premier League and the January transfer window. This is the this is the time of year that Lawrence absolutely lives for with all the rumors and speculation. Mm. You, you know how <laughs> much he just loves live. that. But Lawrence, mm. <laughs> Lawrence, uh, I'm going to put the rumors and speculation aside for this segment. We're going we're to concentrate on something real. I know that you aren't really big on concentrating on the true facts of the situation. but uh, that, that real, real. There were a number of, um, I don't know if they were significant moves, but they're, they're moves we're going to talk about all the same uh, that happened yeah. over the last few days. Uh, the first one, we saw this player actually feature for Leicester today at White Hart Lane. Uh, Damari Gray transferring from Birmingham City to Leicester earlier this week. We've mentioned this person on the pod before. Lawrence, any indication as to whether this guy is actually going to make a difference over the next six months? Um, I certainly think in terms of squad depth for Leicester, then that's that's going to help. Uh, I also think it's going to be partly down to uh, some people talking about fitness today, which I thought was unusual, as, as if implying. Um, <laughs> as if implying he's been sitting on his butt for the last four months. Yeah, but also, I mean, I guess you could talk about that because, you know, obviously the Premier League is a different league, but then the Championship. Right. It does require, maybe it requires a different kind of fitness. I mean, you and I were talking about this just a few years ago. You know, I mean, uh, I think it was post Champions League one week. You know, I said, wow, look how far Xabi Alonso's run. And then we were talking about the difference between the NBA being fit and mm. the Premier League being fit. You could say possibly the same about the Championship and the Premier League is that they require a different kind of physicality. True. And you just need to tweak that in a way. I think Premier Leagues are getting, the Premier League teams are getting better at tweaking that. Um, because, you know, the, the knowledge base may be better or however you want to put it. Hmm. So I think that's certainly going to help. I think it's down to squad depth here for Leicester and just offering more options for the person who's famous as being the Tinker Man. Hmm. Liverpool made a notable signing week from the Croatian really? league. Marco Gucci, <laughs> of course, they loaned him back immediately to the club that he came from. So Did you hear him. the great little story that he told? No, I didn't. What is this? And it, it's something that I, all those clickbait websites are, po- uh, are posting up at the moment is that he almost didn't sign for Liverpool. Find out why here. Yeah. You can now find out why here, guys. Um, apparently, he's claustrophobic. Um, and so Liverpool, and I didn't know this, required him to do an hour-long MRI scan during his um, during his fitness. And so he said, I, I just didn't want to get in. And he said, so I almost didn't sign because I didn't want to get into this MRI scan. Huh. Um, and and it was just such a weird... It, the translation... I don't know if the interview was given in English or if it was given in... Um, and maybe he speaks Serbian. Um, and basically, he then... He said... So I did that in the machine, uh, and it was okay. And then I got out, and they took a lot of photos of me. And I just felt like, <laughs> are, you, are you becoming a Liverpool player or some sort of New York Fashion Week model? I couldn't work it out. <laughs> um, other news, Ananyanuzai returning from Dortmund to United, ending his loan spell early. Uh, kind of a mixed bag there, Nimboon. I mean, you're getting an attacking player back. Maybe it'll help. He did not have a good four months in Germany. He didn't. And uh, to be to Van Hal's credit, he did warn... Yanezai before he left that he wouldn't get the playing time with the kinds of uh, front four that Dortmund currently plays under Tuchel uh, and Yanezai insisted on going to Dortmund um, and has not worked out well. We'll mm. see what happens now that he's back at United. One thing's for sure, Van Hal doesn't, hasn't really trusted him uh, when he's played him. 
couple of players that should play right away coming over from Europe. Ivo Pinto arrives at Norwich from Dinamo Zagreb. If you saw him during some Champions League play, you know that he's a fullback. Eh, he seems pretty decent. Uh, Jan Chertoff from Bayern Munich arrives at Sunderland, should slot immediately into central defense. One million euros was the fee there. Morgan Amalfitano has left West Ham. He's going to Lille, released on a free. And then Benica Fobi from Wolverhampton Wanderers to Bournemouth. Lawrence, I don't know anything about this guy. Great. Well, uh, it, it would seem as if Bournemouth are signing him because they have a striking problem. Uh, 12 million, obviously, is breaking their club record. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I, from from looking at, at what he's going to bring to the side, it basically uh, would be a very cliched sort of, he's the kind of striker that if they were for, to fall back down into the championship, he could do well. But he's also the kind of striker that if they were to stay up in the league, he's probably going to cause the likes of Liverpool and other people who struggle with that kind of striker um, problems. What kind of Basically, striker is this? Like, what's a good analog for him? Who should I be thinking of when I think of the style of player he is? If either um, of you guys know. Yeah, so I, I watched him a little bit. Uh, the reason I know him, uh, know of him, is back. because. Oh. Yeah, no, not at all. It's because he scored twice against United when MK Dons beat us yeah. for nothing. Exactly. Uh, he, yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching him play and thinking, this guy's pretty good. I did watch uh, a few games of him this season under Wolves, uh, at Wolves. And what I'll say is, he, what's, what stands out for me about him, you know, there are all the cliches about him, uh, playing off the last man, all that stuff. But what impresses me is that he can finish with both feet. Uh, and that I think is an underrated, uh, thing to have as a striker is to be able to finish equally well with both feet. Uh, and the other thing is he's a good PK taker and we know Bournemouth has had some issues with that. So he's a good fit and we'll see what happens because they also have a Turbe now who, uh, and on paper, you'd say that's something hmm. that they, they've decided they want to work on as far as that link-up play between those two. So we'll see so, what happens. So you have somebody I mean, that's going well, to gonna play along the center halves and then somebody that's going to be quick and run in the space behind them. Right. Hmm. It is also interesting to see, though, that Wolves would be willing to let him go. I, I think it's down to the fee that they've accepted for that, that they're willing to let him yeah. go. Because, you know, I, I don't think... Um, I was looking at the championship table earlier today. I, I, I think they consider themselves out of reach of the likes of... Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, maybe even yeah. Cardiff at this point. Even though they're only four or five points back, I don't know if they think they can make up that in a couple of games or maybe, with him there. Maybe they'll take this money and go buy uh, somebody who's succeeding in Scotland or something like that, and they won't miss a beat. Who knows? Uh, Possibly a, so. I think a lot what, of money. What's interesting is what's interesting is the uh, the geography at the moment of the championship and how many teams are going to be coming up and down. I think we're definitely going to miss Aston Villa in terms of geography next season. But if Ooh, you look at the point. teams that are looking to come up, it's only Ipswich and Brighton at the moment who seem to be southern teams. Mm. So it, it, at least there's going to be some more geographical diversity to the, the league and not just this kind of, you know, London-based um, idea. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, midweek round in the Premier League, the 21st of the season sees games spread out over Tuesday and Wednesday, three on Tuesday. Let's start going through the whole slate. Nipun, we'll start with you. Aston Villa hosting Crystal Palace. Villa is uh, going to be <laughs> one of the teams that's going to go down. Let's be honest about that. Uh, this is a t- game that you'd think they might have uh, a chance to get a point, but I think Palace have had a terrific record away from home lately uh, under uh, Pardew, so they're they're definitely favorites. West Ham, winners of two in a row, unbeaten in seven. Lawrence, they're visiting Bournemouth. It's going to be a wonderful battle in midfield. They've just got to meet you Pyatt back. He completely took out Liverpool. And then you look, obviously, at the fact that they've just signed um, a new 
big strike of the 12 million. Um, I think he's probably going to start, actually. Napoon, Manchester United, a very telling game. This one can be also on Tuesday. They visit St. James's Park and Newcastle United. It's going to be a goal fest. 6-6 six, six is my prediction. Uh, just Good kidding. God. United have lost just one of last 12 against Newcastle, a team that they tend to do well against. But uh, let's be honest, it's a nil-nil draw. Shifting to Wednesday, Swansea City, they're hosting Sunderland, Lawrence. Uh, Sunderland being the Sam Allardyce team that they are, I'd imagine they're going to um, apply the kind of cutthroat things that go on, but again, uh, not manage to completely successfully execute those. Um, so we'll probably see some sort of a, a one-all here as everyone's disappointed that they didn't get their goal. In terms of aesthetics, this is going to be a good one, and it's one one that Everton fans maybe will look for a breakthrough against Manchester City team, uh, Nippoon, that hasn't shown their best form over the last couple months. Definitely. Uh, Everton can be a bit, has been a bit of a bogey team of, of, for City, especially during their time under Moyes. Uh, this is going to be, for me, the pick of the game of the, the weekend, even more so than Liverpool Arsenal. Uh, I think this will actually be a goal fest. No joke here. Both teams struggle, uh, defense, have struggled defensively. Terrific going forward. Uh, should be good, good, excellent game. Stokes City with a chance to again show that Barcelona-esque form. They're hosting Norwich City, Lawrence. Yeah, but then look at the way that Norwich have been playing more recently. And I think, um, you know, if, if you look at the, their more recent results, I'm actually quite impressed by what Norwich have achieved. Um, you know, looking back through these last few fixtures, obviously we've seen them lose 3-0 to Man City, but before that they were on a two-game win streak. Mm-hmm. Winning three or that. four in the league, Norwich is now six points clear of the drop. As Lawrence is saying, they're actually getting some good results. One team that is going in the other direction, Southampton, having lost four or five, Nipun, they host Watford on Wednesday. Yeah, big simplification will be which... Virgil van Dijk shows up. If it's the Virgil van Dijk or the start of the season, uh, he would be able to handle Troy Deeney uh, and Igalo. If it's the one that's been showing up lately, could be 4 nothing Watford. Lawrence, Chelsea looking to continue their rebound under Goose Heating. They are going to be hosting West Brom. Looking at the way that West Brom are going to set up, I think they're going to try and shut Chelsea down and counter on them. I'll be interested to see how Chelsea's midfield cope with that um, because, you know, they've sat Mikel very deep more recently in Premier League games. Um, and uh, yeah, I've actually been interested to see how much more attacking that's made. The rest is it basically Chelsea are a more balanced side now, and I think Tony Pulis is going to look to disrupt that. And then there are two 3 p.m. Eastern time kickoffs, 8 p.m. local time. The first is a rematch, but not a replay. Nupun, Leicester City, they're at White Hart Lane again to face Spurs. With Leicester City, uh, this was the, today they scored a couple of goals. It was their first goals they've scored in three games. There's been a drop in their form. Um, it'll be interesting whether he plays Okazaki and uh, Ochoa or if he continues uh, in the absence of Vardy. Uh, so it'll be interesting what he does there. Spurs have looked strong in the Premier League under Pochettino, uh, especially lately. Uh, Spurs go in definite strong favorites for this. And then Lawrence, the marquee tie of the round, the marquee fixture of the round, uh, Liverpool is hosting Arsenal. Yeah, both sides are claiming that they're uh, pretty depleted by the likes of injuries this season. Uh, you know, there are other things you can be depleted by, management changes, those kind of things. But apparently that doesn't apply. Um, and both teams here could probably field full 11s who are injured right now. Though that I would actually advise against that. That's actually really <laughs> poor practice. Um, the, the interesting thing is going to be how Liverpool press Arsenal in this game. You know, they... Um, Arsenal and both Liverpool and Arsenal fielded a couple of youth guys or a, a, a less strengthened side at the weekend. I'd be interested to see how Olivier Giroud does against the back line of Liverpool, uh, especially considering how depleted they are. But then yeah, flip that on the other end. 
and seeing how maybe the likes of Benteke goes, does against uh, Koscielny um, and the movement of the midfield of Arsenal. Um, so let's see. We're going to circle back on a couple of these games, talk about them in a little bit more depth. But, Napoon, I want to stick with Liverpool-Arsenal for now. Liverpool entering an interesting stretch here. Obviously, they're stretched as far as their squad is concerned by the injuries that they've had, the most depleted team in the league right now. They've got Arsenal on Wednesday. They've got Manchester United on the weekend, and then they have their FA Cup replay. Uh, No reprise for them coming up. What are you you looking for from Jurgen Klopp's squad on Wednesday? How much of a fight are they going to give the league? leaders on wednesday i think they uh i think arsenal will win the game um maybe even comfortably just because of the situation in defense more than anything uh i think uh lawrence's point about benteke is well taken but it will be decided by uh the fact that they have four maybe five central defenders uh out of uh commission and and a midfield that's missing their main game changer in coutinho so wednesday they're going to struggle Lawrence, I want to stay with this game still. Um, with Liverpool, it seems like a lot comes down to how the other team is going to play. Are they going to play without the ball? Are they going to try to hold the ball? That affects how Liverpool is going to press. That affects how Klopp is going to set up. And with Arsenal, we tend to see two very different style of teams. We saw the team against Manchester City that was so successful, more than happy to play without the ball and hurt their opposition on the counter. But a lot of times, the best Arsenal team is the one that's going to hold 60% of possession. How do you think Arsene Wenger should approach this game? It's an interesting uh, idea, actually, because I don't really thought about it from a Liverpool perspective, that if they pressed, uh, then they could basically do what Pep Guardiola pointed out, was if you press the two centre-backs, then Arsenal's game plan seems to fall apart somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, to counter that, maybe you would do what uh, Pep's... Pep's side did against the, the Jurgen Klopp teams, which was to play a long ball up to the likes of Giroud and then play off him with two faster guys or two guys who can pick the ball up well and somewhat subvert the Liverpool system. And I think that would be the the, uh, the intelligent thing to do. I just wonder if Arsene Wenger would, I mean, he has been more pragmatic this season, but I wonder if he would like to play his own kind of football mm. um, and maybe wants to continue along that line. If they don't play it well, then he'll still stick to it. Let's shift from one North London team to another. Spurs versus Leicester, we obviously got a taste of what this match will look like on Sunday. 2-2 draw at White Hart Lane in the third round of the FA Cup. Both teams are going to bring a number of regulars back in. As Nupun yeah. said, though, Jamie Vardy is not going to be in the team, ha- electing to have that growing surgery. He should be ready for the next round of action this weekend. If not that, he'll be back the weekend after that. Seven to ten days was the time frame we got on that one. Nupun, this is... A very important game for Spurs is particularly for the part of Spurs fandom that is now starting to entertain that this team maybe can scratch their way into a title race. But they are six points back of Arsenal. So any drop points at home, particularly against one of the two teams that separate them from Arsenal, become very important. Yeah, I mean, if you told me that Spurs and Leicester would were going to have a, more of a chance to finish above the likes of Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool at the start of the season, I would have thought you were crazy. But that's the situation we are in. Spurs fans are rightly uh, of the belief that they, they are in a title race. Um, I mean, maybe definitely a top four race. I don't know if they're good enough for the title. But po- drop points to Leicester City is will be an issue in the sense that both those teams are competing for that fourth, third or fourth spot, in my opinion. Uh, and at home, you would expect that this Spurs team, uh, especially playing against, as we have outlined, a uh, Vardy-less, a.k.a. a talisman-less uh, less, uh, Leicester City side, they have to be considered uh, far favorites for this, for this game. Lawrence, Nipun hinted at the, the debate 
around Tottenham right now as to whether they really are title contenders. Uh, you look at their goal difference. It's tied for the best in the Premier League. They're the best mm-hmm. defense in the Premier League. They've only lost two times in the Premier League, which is tied with Leicester for the lowest amount. But their big problem has been draws. They've drawn nine games, nine matches this year, which means out of the 20 games they've played so far, they've actually dropped points in most of those games. Which is, Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. is their record, basically. Um, and the fact that you can spin it either way, you know, a lot of people say, uh, you know, when clubs are looking to stay up and looking to get to 40 points, are they going to make 40 points if they draw so many games? Um, and they don't tend to apply that to the top sides. They tend to say, I think earlier in the season, people were saying, you know, 14 games unbeaten. That's incredible. <laughs> Um, it, it was kind of incredible, when you, right? Like, just stop and look at it. Just like with the West Ham streak now, where it's seven games unbeaten. Yeah, but five were draws. So yeah, exactly. But but then there's also small things I think in there which um, are, it, it, there's a lot of positives. It's very similar to the Premier League debate that we're having. You know, the basically Pochettino has implemented some really big changes there, and it's nothing to do with luck. Or I mean, to some extent it is. But the harder you work, the luckier you are. And I think Pochettino put in a lot of work. So that when he got to a level of management like this, to be able to implement that, I think that's now coming to the fore for him. They're notoriously fit side, so he'll suffer different kind of injuries, which may be uh, more short term or different kinds of injuries from different kinds of players. So he'll pick his players, which he actually wants to play with, as opposed to having to pick from a squad, which is maybe someone else's at this point. Um, and I also think when it comes down to them, they, they've not had one point this season where their two first-choice centre-backs have not been on the pitch. Hmm. And then we even saw in the FA Cup this weekend how once you broke that as a system, they begin to even maybe look slightly more vulnerable. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot more nuance to it than that. You, know, you could still just add that as another draw. Hmm. Last match that I really want to dig into, Nifuna, this is a rematch. I, I, can we call it a rematch since the League Cup semifinal isn't over yet? Uh, That's right. But Manchester City, after looking relatively poor at Goodison Park in the first leg of the team's League Cup semifinal gets Everton at the Etihad. So the question is, what's going to be different about this match? Uh, on paper, there's going to be nothing different in the sense that with the same old lazy narrative that I provide and lazy people like me provide about Manchester City will continue in vis-a-vis uh, will Toure show up? Will Silva show up? Will Aguero show up? Will those three players since companies missing three out of the four that we consider to be uh, the the key players for this team, are they going to show up? And if they do, is Everton a team that has has been very poor defensively going to be able to cope with the barrage that's headed their way? And the reverse of that is Everton is for me, other than Arsenal and City, has the best attacking front line uh, in the Premier League. So. Uh, with City's defense also struggling with the likes of Mangala and et cetera being out of form or um, someone like... playing bad. Or playing bad, <laughs> yeah. Uh, will they be able to cope with the brilliance, the, the interchange that Lukaku and uh, and and um, Barkley, et cetera, provide? Uh, I thought Delafeo, by the way, going back to the League Cup, was had an awful game. And I would definitely start Miralish ahead of Delafeu, uh, because for more than anything, I think Delafeu in these sorts of games tends to be a little too individualistic, whereas Miralish provides a little bit more uh, of, of a team ethic that Martinez wants. The Everton City game, Leicester Spurs, Liverpool Arsenal, those are all on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we're going to be back to record another show. Check your feeds that night. Check your feeds Thursday morning, midweek review podcast, round 22 preview podcast. But until then, for everybody at the World Soccer Talk family,
family for Nipun Chopra. Lawrence? Enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737. Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast. And Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7 Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email. Richard at worldsoccertalk.com. <laughs>